Hello, and welcome to Over My Head, a look back at Pop's past, presented to you by Los Lovely Boys. Please rate, review, and subscribe to our podcast to get these episodes as they drop. The music for our podcast, as always, is provided by the artist Friend of Yours. This is a podcast where we dissect all things pop from the recent past. Today, we are hoping to answer the all-important question, why did the song Toxic by Britney Spears pop? This is episode four of our show, and as usual, I have my co-host Chris and Stefan with me. And guys, it's Britney, bitch. That's right. That's right. It's I'm Brittany, glad that bitch. we're uh, doing this one. <laughs> I saw that this was uh, what had won the poll that you posted. Yeah, so thank you guys for voting out there. Uh, if you didn't want Toxic, you, you're going to get it anyway right now. Um, I think I'm going to try to get as many of the It's Britney bitches as I can during this time, so... Someone wants to start like a drinking game to that or something. Go for it. Please don't. Um, I think it'd be be a little, <laughs> a little fun. Yeah, it might be a lot, but for your help um, <laughs> in there. So um, been a, been another you know week since we've last recorded. Um, some new music has dropped. I know that we were talking about this before. Um, what new music have you guys been listening to? For me, I've been listening to the Avalanches. They've released a few singles with uh, Rivers Cuomo from Weezer, mm-hmm. uh, Blood Orange. Oh, very nice. I just listened to Larue's recent album and single and that was nice to hear from her tyler the creator did a remix wasn't so crazy about it but it was interesting and then yeah we were discussing the scots mm-hmm. which is an interesting song considering that uh, kid cuddy kind of melded his sound with travis scott yeah it's it, it is pretty good um i i like it a lot um our friends over at lavish also uh released their album so go check that out if you guys can it's lav.ish so literally l-a-v a period i-s-h uh, shout out to carl lane as well they're putting out some good stuff uh I'm wearing my lavish shirt right now actually yeah we can um, uh, we to... can post a link the album's out uh we, they got a uh, we can get it on instagram and whatnot yeah absolutely so we want you guys to check that out and i know they're big fans and we're big fans of them too chris you've been listening to anything yeah um i mean lately what i keep ending up coming back to is jacques green um, who put out an album earlier this year? Um, yeah, you sent some stuff over earlier in the week. I know. Fantastic. He's been get, he got me through the work week once again. Um, and uh, I mean, in terms of more recent, James Blake just put out a great new song uh, last night that um, that I've been really enjoying. Also, the Scots um, and uh, Charlie XCX just put out a song with Dylan Brady of a hundred Gex. Um, fantastic absolutely great song um claws i love it uh she's doing a really cool thing she's recording an album while in uh while in lockdown and it's kind of like at a new episode every week sort of pace so. that's kind of that kind of reminds me of like the good fridays that uh kanye used to do so that's pretty cool i have i imagine that we'll see a lot of quarantine albums coming out uh within the next few weeks or months even yeah, for sure I think I think we can put all of these artists and songs we just mentioned in the show notes. So if you're interested in listening to any of the songs we mentioned, they'll be in the podcast description. Yeah. Just hit the show more button, and there you go. Yeah, we uh, are you know reviewing songs and dissecting them from you know a lot longer ago, but we still like to stay connected with what's going on now because um, those will be the oldies and throwbacks <laughs> someday. Um, too. So let's kind of get into it all. Um, as you guys all know by now, for legal reasons, we cannot play the song here. But we want you to please go listen to it wherever you can listen to music. YouTube, Spotify, Apple Music, 
SoundCloud, wherever you can find it. Um, we want you to support the artist and to at least get a feel for remembering the song. And on the other side, we're going to break down what we do usually, history, production, lyrics, got some segments to go through too. Um, so please go listen to Toxic by Britney Spears and enjoy some uh, notes that remind us of Toxic as well. And we'll see you on the other side. Okay, so Toxic, guys. Um, give me your thoughts about Toxic and what the song means to you, memories surrounding it, and everything in between. It's a very futuristic sound, even listening to it 16, 17 years later. It, it has a sound that I don't think any pop music has really created since, and I think that's all stemming from the Bollywood sample that it features. It has strings, primarily, I don't think you hear that. You heard it a lot in the 60s and the 70s with pop music, but you don't hear it very much anymore over the last two or three or four decades even. So it's very unique in that aspect. And then in terms of Britney's career, it's kind of smack in the middle, kind of the apex in my opinion, and probably her best work. Yeah, it's it is a it's one of those songs that just kind of catches your attention immediately. I love... Um, I love the intro, um, kind of the lo-fi, um, just a sample playing for a second, and then it cuts out, and then Britney just yanks you into the song. Um, the when the when the drums kick in too, um, just the cadence that it ends up setting over those strings works really, really well. Yeah, it's like a menacing song. I think that's what I kind of think about it when I think about it. You're like, you know, you get those high strings that are like kind of shrill but you kind of brings you in and you're like oh what is going on right now and then after that you you know break into song um so to speak um actually one of the memories i have of this um is when we were down in gulf shores uh on spring break um i sang this with kenzie uh shout out kenzie um at this random dive bar um we sang toxic uh for all these like middle-aged white people basically and they're probably like what the <laughs> hell is going on uh, so uh that was one of the memories i have surrounding this song it, it is one of those that you you want to sing and you want to just you know remember all the times that you had with it yeah the name of the song toxic kind of tells you what it's about I, i'm gonna throughout this episode we're three white men but we're gonna talk about sex appeal sexuality and it's a sexy song like it's toxic she's a poison pill it's kind of spy themed and uh, it's just a perfect, you know, you kind of said it menacing. She's kind of trying to go dark and she achieved it. It's kind of like this, the scheming aspect too. You, you, you think like, oh, there are schemes afoot. Well, and she's, uh, she's going dark and it's definitely kind of, you know, we'll, we'll go into it, but it's very much at an interesting point in her career to look back on because yeah, you can tell that there's a whole lot of... Uh, whole lot of male gaze in terms of how this song and video for that matter are um are portraying britney um i mean not to eliminate her autonomy from the picture but especially given where the trajectory of her career went afterwards etc um you know it's hard not to look back at this and think okay yeah whoever was directing this etc was you know they had a certain image of kind of the dangerous woman in mind that's you know, definitely anti antiquated. Um, and so, I mean, 
don't get me wrong, I love the song, but it is 100% not the sort of context that, you know, you can really remove from it. it, it this wouldn't exist um, without kind of the gender politics of the early 2000s. Yeah, I completely agree with you, Chris, and st stick around for everyone. We're going to break down the music video a bit. There's a lot to unpack with everything regarding Britney Spears and lyrics and production and the music video as a whole. So we're really excited to break it all down and give our perspective um, on everything. So we'll end up breaking that down. Um, let's dive into some of the history surrounding not only the song, but Britney Spears and everything that was her long career that she has had up to this point, too. So, Stefan, let's dive into what it, who, who is Britney Spears and all that in between. So it's impossible to explain the entire come up of Britney Spears, the entire career, everything that's happened, because it's been almost two and a half decades, really, since she landed on the scene. And it's impossible to cover that in one segment of one episode. If you're interested in Britney Spears' story, um, there's a lot of podcasts out there. There's a lot of articles we'll link in the show notes, but I encourage you to go there. But to start off, I think we have to start with the Mickey Mouse Club. We're going back to 1992, and it's really interesting. This little revised television show that actually went back to the 1950s included the likes of Britney Spears herself, her contemporary slash rival, Christina Aguilera, and then what would be her ex-lover, Justin Timberlake was in that show. Oh, and by the way, Ryan Gosling was also in it. So you yeah, there's been there. a lot of people that have been, like, even you hear about it now and you're like, oh, that person was in the Mickey Mouse Club? And it's yeah. like, a, I mean, the career launching aspect. It's wild when Ryan Gosling is an oh, by the way. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Probably the, mo the most acclaimed actor of the group. I think they've all dabbled in it. Uh, sure. But to varying effects. So uh, she got her start there. Got the attention of record label execs. Eventually was groomed to be this pop, you know, starlet she would become. I'm just going to glaze over it because I think we know the story. She releases Baby One More Time in 1999. Top selling debut album by any artist ever. Over 20 million. A year later in 2000, Oops I Did It Again. Also one of the top selling albums of all time. So she's off to a great start. We get to her third album. It's self-titled Britney. It's released in November of 2001. Guess what? This one also goes number one. She sets the record for three straight back-to-back-to-back -to -back -to -back, um, debut albums to go number one on the Billboard Hot 200. And she's under all under 21 at this point too, right? Yes. I think in Toxic she was 22 or 24, in, somewhere in that range. So, you know, this, these were her teen years, which kind of explained the sound. It's really bubblegum pop except until we get to Britney. This is why I want to stop here, because this is kind of what leads into In the Zone, the album that had Toxic. Uh, Britney, she kind of started, she really wanted to let the world know that she was advancing. She was becoming an adult. She was trying to be, become more sexualized herself, or people were telling her to. The song, I'm a Slave for You, she has... Um, overprotected and literally the song i'm not a girl not yet a woman it can't lay it out any more clear she's trying to become more adult and around this time i mentioned you know she came up with this mickey mouse crew christina aguilera justin timberlake i'm a slave for you directly influenced christina aguilera you have the song dirty the music video they look exactly alike justin timberlake himself leaves in sync in 2002 becomes literally independent and he would later, you know, have a lot of sex appeal with Sexy Back, et cetera, in 2006. 
So they're all kind of coming of age at the same time, trying to become independent and break out of this, you know, um, cookie cutter teen pop molds that the record labels were trying to tell them to be. Now, and I think about this too, like even modern day, and I might be getting ahead of you, but Ariana Grande is someone that comes to my mind. She was, um, you know, kind of that teen star um i believe on nickelodeon and then she goes to making music and is like hey like comes out with an album it's like i am not that anymore i'm this so it, it is the, that like statement piece maybe that it is made uh, to kind of break away from mickey mouse club nickelodeon uh anything that they can see that way no, no i mean ariana grande i think is maybe the closest we have to it but really don't have anything that followed the mold that christina aguilera britney spears and sync etc kind of followed in the early 2000s like did anyone reach the peak of britney maybe rihanna maybe taylor swift but they didn't have the same story like where they're groomed from teen stardom maybe taylor swift but it wasn't in the same way no well and i it's kind of a it's kind of like a not classic necessarily but it goes back to kind of just kind of just traditional male gaze um in terms of how art in the late 20. 20th century depicted it um there was kind of a there was kind of a mesh a meshing of um starting to be progressive um ideation of kind of like femme fatale um which would end up being a britney album but um you know like you like kind of the bond girl goes like more dangerous sort of idea meshing that with innocence and the idea of what was traditionally appealing in a pop star kind of like top 40 appeal across um across ages it ended up this being kind of its apex for better or worse where britney's entire life ended up being kind of this um kind of this coming of age story of really accelerated sexuality um again like it's insane to think about how young she is at this at this point um and it's you know i mean most of her songs and um and videos at this point are very much beholden to kind of what a label wants to see out of it um i and i i know that there's i know that there's some um there's some controversy in the coming years about uh, her ability to release the sort of music that she wants to. I won't get ahead of y'all, but that's, but this was definitely still at the point where it was the label kind of trying to craft a narrative with her life. I, I totally agree. I think the first two albums, there was kind of this implicit sexuality kind of driven by the record label. Like you had this Catholic schoolgirl; She was literally underage. I, I don't think they could explicitly, you know, say that, but it was there. Right. And then I think as she after she turned 18, it started with this album, Britney. I think she wanted to own some aspect of that. So maybe that's empowering in a way. She wanted to own the sexuality and embrace it. Um, maybe the record label pushed it. We don't know. Mm-hmm. But I think that it's definitely this era, Britney going in the album, Britney, her third album, going into In the Zone marks that transition period where we had uh, Hit Me Baby One More Time and Oops, I Did It Again. It was kind of this you know teenage angst driven sexuality and now we get just more explicit and maybe that's being more driven by britney maybe it is just mass produced by the record label but it is a different direction nonetheless yeah yeah definitely yeah so then so everyone's 
breaking off from what they were doing it sounds like uh at this part so what was happening then before the album in the zone actually was released yeah so this is really interesting a few months before it's released we're in 2003 in august you have the vmas and you have this performance with madonna britney christina and missy elliott and this is an iconic performance it's actually voted the number one most eye-opening intro to a vma awarded by mtv itself Um, But they, you know, kind of did a mashup of all their songs, and it ended up with Madonna, Britney, and Christina all kissing. And mind you, this is 2003. This is more taboo than it is today. It cuts to a scene of Justin Timberlake. He's pretty mad. He had just broken up with Britney. We're about to get Cry Me a River. Um, But I think this is really symbolic because Madonna was kind of endorsing a new age of pop princesses. Britney is literally the princess of pop, right? And Madonna is the queen of pop. And she's kind of passing the torch symbolically by performing with them, saying, go ahead and own it. And I don't think they would have the same career they did without Madonna, who really was the first to combine sexuality, religion, and um, all these themes with pop music in the 80s. And the fact that she passed the torch to them literally through a performance and a kiss was symbolic. Yeah, I remember watching that um, and... My mom was like, what in the hell is going on? And it was just like, well, those were everyone. I think, well, I think like everyone was like that. Everyone was like, what the hell just happened? And you're, you're like, that is just the beginning of, of the show. And I mean, the VMAs, in my opinion, have, have, you know, not been good the past, you know, five years. But then that was what you were going to watch and what you were going to tune into. So to have that open it up was, like you said, Stefan, symbolic, but just huge on a massive scale yeah we've talked previously about how this whole um well really the 2000s in general was a was very much defined by still having culture be driven by what was happening when everyone tuned in simultaneously to something happening on tv and this is a perfect example i mean in that way it's kind of it's it's genius you know you're basically wielding um wielding shock value to bring um you know to bring all eyes onto you exactly the vma's Are they a quality broadcast the majority of the time? I would say no. But when they provide that shock value, do they ever provide the shock value? And this is one case of that. The Kanye, Taylor Swift Mm -hmm. incident is another case of that. It goes on. Miley Cyrus and uh, Robin Thicke. Robin Thicke, exactly. So I think they're aware of it um, and they lean into it a bit, but they do provide that shock value. We can't rob them of that. So this incident, it happens in August. The album, In the Zone, drops in November 2003. And Britney Spears herself broke the previous record she set. This album also went number one. So her first four albums all go number one on their debuts. And this album was definitely like kind of taking the Britney themes of becoming an adult, becoming more sexual, and it just kind of owned that more. She had more creative direction, more songwriting credit. She had Every Time, which was a pop ballad, um, she wrote with a backup vocalist, kind of in response to Justin Timberlake, Cry Me a River. However, it also still had a lot of collaboration from other artists. I think Chris is going to get into who collaborated with this song with the production. Mm-hmm. I did want to call out that the song Outrageous was written and produced by R. Kelly. Well, not, <laughs> it did uh, not age well. Um, one of the lines was, Outrageous, my sex drive. Outrageous, my shopping spree within the same line so a man writing that for a woman very interesting jesus christ r kelly (laughs) 
The problem with doing this is that R. Kelly is going to pop up multiple times. <laughs> like he, he just kind of intertwined himself into the sound of this time and had a lot of the same sort of effect. Yeah, he's going, he's prevalent in the 2000s. You can't tell the story of 2000s pop without R. Kelly. It's yeah. kind of sa- true. sad truth. So how does this all relate to Toxic? We get Me Against the Music. That's the first single from the album. It's actually a collaboration with Madonna. When you have a feature with Madonna, you release that as the first album. Peaks at number 35. And then they're like, all right, on to the next one. So this is where Britney's kind of influence on the album stands out. They reached out to her and said, which songs do you want to be um, the featured single for the second choice? They were thinking, um, I got that boom boom by the Yin Yang twins and her. And then uh, Outrageous. And she said, no, I'm going to go with Toxic. That's the most upbeat. I like that one. So Britney herself chose this song because she had an ear for it. And I think she was absolutely correct. In terms of um, chart performance, it debuted at 53 when it was released, January 13th, 2004. It peaked at 9. I thought that was a little low. On uh, March 27th, a few months later. Overall, it spent 20 weeks on the chart, dropping out in June. And uh, one really awesome sign that i think kind of endorsed this as a global hit it peaked within the top 10 in every country it charted in so it's a massive global hit yeah and then Stefan, wasn't it not originally her song either great call out yes it this was not originally pitched to britney it was originally offered to kylie minogue i get it can't get you out of my head it has a similar dance pop sound but i don't think we get toxic if it's not britney spears what do you guys think no no way I mean, Britney's vocals, I feel, are um, as much as much as people kind of rag on on her at sometimes vocally. Like she has an iconic voice, and this song, I mean, is a great example of it. When she when she hits that falsetto on the verse, I don't think I don't think anyone could have hit could have made that work so well. I mean, her voice plays perfectly off of the sample. Like I I mean. It's it, it's funny to look back at songs like that um, that were you know written for someone else. I mean, this is a this is definitely an era where that happened quite a bit. But um, yeah, this is a hundred percent a Britney a Britney song through and through for me. I mean, I, I'm still still surprised that it only peaked at number nine. But I don't think this would have gotten anywhere uh, with such steam if it weren't for Britney. Yeah, I think too. Like just the like performance. And the performances that Britney gives when, you know, she has the residency in Vegas and on her tours and everything, too, that that adds to the song and to the just surround everything surrounding it that you couldn't even think of someone else doing the music video or doing the dance routines to it. Yeah, it's impossible not to picture Britney, the music video, you know, all her outfits in it when thinking about this song. Um, to Chris's point about the vocals, there's actually a demo that was released two years ago where it, it shows her singing it for the first time. It's on YouTube. I'll include the link in the show notes, but it's interesting to you know see her vocals stripped down. It fits quite well, and she even riffs a bit. It just kind of shows that like this um, stere- you know that preconceived notion that Britney lip syncs a lot. Yeah, she lip syncs because she's dancing, but she still has a great voice. There's a reason why they picked her to be a pop star. So. In terms of accolades, moving ahead, it won a Grammy Award for Best Dance Recording in 2004. This was Britney's first Grammy. 
Pitchfork ended up ranking it as number three on the top 50 singles of 2004. And here's a quote that I think actually describes this whole era of Britney entirely well, especially in the context of uh, her trying to define her um, coming of age in the previous album. So the quote goes, first, this is the first Britney song to not parasite off her persona. Finally, she just acted like an adult rather than constantly reminding us she wasn't a girl anymore. That's the most pitchfork thing I've ever heard. Maybe. It is, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they, they like it because it's different. That is pitchfork in a nutshell. But, I mean, they, they are right, of course, because it's like, hey, I'm here. It wasn't like, you know, with the album before, it was like, hey, I might be, you know, here as an adult. This was like her stamp of, it's Britney, bitch. To so to speak, <laughs> in that way too. I mean, yeah. I mean, she hadn't said it yet, but I mean that that was the moment I think where you're like, that is, this is Britney, and this is what you're gonna get now. Yeah, and we're gonna get to this in the lyrics, like, but there's not a ton to dissect in this song in terms of lyricism. It just kind of is what it is—a sexy song. With her other songs, I'm not a girl, not a yet a woman. She's painting a vivid picture of how she doesn't want to be defined as a teenager anymore, and this is her just saying, "Here I am." Accept me for who I am, a pop star. I'm going to be in your ears for months, years, decades. So what happened after all this? It's impossible to chronicle Britney's second half, but I think this is an interesting kind of splitting point between her first half and her second half. After this album, we have the blackout phase, all the publicized paparazzi run-ins. It kind of takes a sad turn. Um, Toxic kind of kept riding that momentum and she started to define her own path and then after that the pressure was immense i don't think anybody's kind of experienced the pressure she had in the later half of the 2000s and it led to some sad affairs there's a lot to dissect that we totally cannot do in one podcast episode there's a lot Mm -hmm. of resources out there as i previously mentioned um so these run-ins with the paparazzi eventually left led to a conservatorship in 2008 Basically, her father, Jamie Spears, controls her financial assets along with an attorney. They control who she sees, what decisions she's making. She was basically denied of her everyday, you know, adult rights to make her own decisions for her own life. Now, she was assessed by psychologists, and there's a lot of nuance here that we as the public don't know. But there's a lot of gray areas, and a lot of people think that she's being kept in here far too long. It's been almost 12 years. There's a hashtag free Britney movement really pushed by the podcast Britney's Gram, which I encourage you to follow. It basically breaks down every Instagram she has. And um, they really have been following this conservatorship. There's a lot of hearings that have happened just as recently as September of 2019. So it's an ever evolving case that we totally don't have the expertise nor the time to dive into. But that's where Britney stands right now. She had number, her career kept going. She had albums as recently as 2016. Her most recent single released was actually a Toxic Remix by um, Y2K and Alexander Lewis, released January of this year. It's pretty interesting. Um, but yeah, so it's kind of slowed down recently. I encourage you to read up on what's been happening because it is very interesting. You know, I think um, kind of especially with the conservatorship in mind. Um, We were talking about how there's, you know, not too many people in pop music history have experienced the same sort of grooming and um, career development for in kind of a 
you know, that's one way to put it, um, that Britney experienced. But unfortunately, what has seemed to be become kind of a precedent after this is um, is the control from a manager or a par- or a parent over a young pop star who um, kind of grows up in the spotlight. Uh, Justin Bieber comes to mind. And more yep. recently than that, a lot of boy band um, and particularly artists in the K-pop uh, genre um, definitely have, you know, I, I, that's what, that's a whole different, uh, discussion to be had, but, um, I definitely recommend looking into, um, looking into that as well. Uh, it, it's, it, yeah, like you said, there's definitely some gray area because when you, when you end up, you know, developing, like literally gr- developing your brain and becoming an adult uh, under such intense pressure and limelight, like, it's, yeah, I don't know, that that's a whole, that's a side of pop stardom in kind of the modern tradition that um, it really feels problematic in a lot of ways. Everyone wants to be famous, and you see this, but when people are screaming in stadiums for people at, you know, the age they are, it definitely can take a toll, so... Um, yeah really important to kind of think about those things that these are people too and they have rights and they have uh you know thoughts and mental capacities just like the rest of us absolutely and i think this kind of like chris mentioned kind of changed the way that pop stars are groomed like we were mentioning earlier earlier maybe ariana grande is the best example of this like she started on a tv show became a pop star but do we see anybody at the same wavelength as britney no do we see them have that career development as chris put it really manufactured meticulous grooming by a record label yeah it's really quote not unquote as development you know it's yes more like being uh more like being molded well that's all i have for the the story of britney obviously there's a ton more i hope we do a ton of extra britney episodes in mm-hmm. the later stages of her career maybe before this this is just kind of mid-career Britney toxic. It became a huge pop hit because she was a huge pop star. Very well put. Yeah, so got the history down. And now, Chris, there is actually a lot to think about even with production. Maybe not mm-hmm. only from what the production itself is, but who actually produced this and what they went on to do too. So excited to hear what you got for us. Yeah, so I mean, I definitely want to, um, I definitely want to get into the production itself. But, you know, kind of, as you said, interestingly, um, the production group behind this uh, song, Bloodshy and Avant, um, they have been, they, they went on to, uh, and had previous prior to uh, Toxic, um, they went on to be to take part in a lot of important pop music releases. Um in uh, in the coming years, they'd work on Britney's um, on Britney's Blackout album. They'd go on from there to work with Maroon Five to uh, um, to then Sky Ferreira. But what's interesting is that um, they'd actually go on to form the supergroup Mike Snow, um, kind of at the start of the early 2010s indie pop um, movement. Um, you might know them for their song Animal and uh, a few other hits after that. Um, they formed that group with Andrew Wyatt, who's another um, very prolific producer. So 
you know, as um, as Bloodshy and Avant would uh, would keep going on and kind of you know wind down their um, their discography relatively. I mean, they'd been around since the late '90s working with Vitamin C and Christina Milian. Um, Andrew Wyatt it, most recently, um, well, I mean, it, among a number of notable works, would end up producing uh, Shallow off of the Star is Born soundtrack, which is a enormous, enormous hit. Um, he uh, He's worked with Flume. He's worked with, uh, with Tame Impala. He's worked with Lord. He's worked with Lil Wayne. He's worked with everybody from Caroline Polachek to Miley Cyrus um, and has ties all the way back to the early days of Bloodshy and Avant. Um, now, interestingly enough as well, uh, Bloodshy and Avant would also end up doing a uh, dance project called Galantis. Um, and Galantis in the uh, 2010s EDM boom um, would end up releasing a great song called Runaway You and I, um, the vocals of which were provided by uh, Kathy Dennis, a, um, a singer-songwriter who actually was the writer of, uh, well, one of the co-writers along with the producers of Toxic. <laughs> um, so it's, uh, so Toxic is part of a canon of really, really talented pop um sound crafters really i mean these are these are some folks who've been creating hits for 20 years um i i just uh i just found that really really interesting while kind of looking up about this song it's it really is kind of a tree like everybody uh everybody there has touched um at least one degree away from a, a lot of the most pivotal songs uh of the past two decades so see i felt like an idiot today because I thought Mike Snow was a person this whole time, which um, is well, it much sounds like, like a first name, last name, right? <laughs> yes. Right, which Mike is Snow. like kind of like when I think of Travis Porter. Um, the, the, mm-hmm. They're actually a trio. Um, so yeah, so it is crazy to think that someone who was or people that were so heavily tied with something from the two thousands not only stays relevant, but also goes under different monikers and different names and kind of reinvents their sound, uh, which sometimes you don't see as much. Mm-hmm. One question I have, are these people Swedish? Yeah, they're extremely Swedish. All of them. Bloodshy and um, Andrew Wyatt is also Swedish? I believe so. I'm not quite positive about Andrew Wyatt, but I know Bloodshy and Avant are. Toxic was actually recorded in Stockholm. Yeah, and then... Um, you have uh, Max Martin, I think, mm-hmm. who's done a ton of Britney hits and other pop hits, also Swedish. Um, so I have a question for you: Why is Sweden a hotbed for pop music? Like, it's, wh- why? There's a lot of uh, there's a lot of good reason for it, but it goes it goes back even further. I mean, um, even think about ABBA back in the '70s. Um, ABBA, ABBA. I'm not quite sure how you pronounce that, but. Um, Swedish music um, kind of developed after uh, world after World War II um, and ended up ended up taking a lot of influences after the fact um, from some of the soldiers who came through there and introduced them to jazz and some early psychedelic and progressive rock. Um, what ended up happening later on is that um, S- Sweden's influence on the pop scene really exploded once. Um, and I don't know this off the top of my head, and I really should, but um, they 
they started integrating um, music education into public schools. Um, they that's awesome. Yeah, a lot of uh, and it, I mean relatively pretty basic, but um, I mean there's a lot of uh, science behind being able to um, being able to kind of, <laughs> to kind of put your brain to music at a young age. Um, it my, Max Martin is a great example. Um, his his work dates back to Ace of Base, um, and what and he was a part of one of the major uh, major Swedish export studios, Chiron Studios, back in the nineteen nineties. Um, they uh, yeah, basically since that point, it's kind of snowballed, and you kind of get that Swedish sound. Um, what always and this is not a very educated take on it, admittedly, but what always stands out to me is. Um, just a great grasp of syllables. Um, it, mm-hmm. It's always like, no, that you're toxic. Like you get those really pointed, like one note per syllable kind of stretched out melodies that take a word into almost an int- piece of instrumentation. Um, and it's it's kind of become an iconic sign of, uh, of that style and of that almost movement. Um, I mean, obviously, you know, Sweden in general, Europe, um, you know, has, they've kind of, uh, branched a little bit further from then America into the world of electronic. Um, so, and that, and those influence have kind of, you know, swept back toward, uh, swept back toward RCs, um, folks like Robin, um, are definitely, you know, major influences on modern pop music. Um, and even lesser known, uh, folks like Bass Hunter, uh, came out of that oh, yeah. same um, that same area. Uh, we, well, Avicii was Swedish, later, of course, too. I was going to say Avicii, uh, Swedish House Mafia, obviously, and then uh, Toblo. It's in the name, Swedish House. Yeah, Toblo <laughs> would end up um, blowing up out of Sweden, and um, you know most of these folks had songwriting uh, expertise behind them. So all that's a long way to say, yeah, you, there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of extremely talented. Uh, Swedish individuals who have who have been behind some of the best pop of the past several decades. So the Swedes have it in their blood. They they do, and their education kind of seems system. like that. Yeah, Shout out public education. <laughs> um, so uh, what I I do want to bring it back to the song itself. Toxic um, Toxic's production has very much held up, and it's interesting listening back how much of it. It, it, as you said, young, it's uh, very much kind of uh, based out of. It, so it's so it's futuristic. I'll give you that. Um, it's extremely futuristic, and yet it did have a lot of commonalities with trends at the time, most notably. And I do not want to butcher the pronunciation of this, but um, the Indian genre Bangra, Bang Bangra. Um, the it's it's kind of a Punjabi pop um sort of like folk music that um, you know the northern region of India that borders Pakistan that 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 Punjabi that one is. yeah of course yeah. thank you <laughs> they uh well you know it, a few years prior to this a very similar uh rhythm directly influenced uh was on Missy Elliott's Get Your Freak On um in that time period and kind of surrounding the the era of Timbaland, the Neptunes, etc. Um, I was going to bring up Big Pimpin' actually. Yeah, That's Big one Pimpin' that is of. another. Um, that um, that style really kind of infiltrated, especially the sound of the sitar. 
Um, and in, uh, in this song particularly, um, there's, it's more strings than sitar, but it does sample, uh, a track from, um, from a movie that I do not know the name of nor can pronounce. It is some Bollywood movie and, uh, <laughs> I, I'll link it in the show notes. It's you once you hear it, you'll see its similarities to toxic. It's, it's from the eighties, right? Yeah. It's, uh, it, I mean, it's, yeah, it's um, they take a couple clips from it, end up uh, chopping it and pitching it to make the strings kind of otherworldly, giving it that futuristic feel. And then they merge that with um, techno motifs, um, some distorted uh, drum machine um, drums and interestingly clips of surf guitar um, <laughs> that end up being kind of buried in the mix. But create part of the noodling effect especially on the verses okay so i wanted to bring this up that that part that like noodling and that like guitar like riff that you kind of hear like Mm -hmm. um in between that it always reminds me of kill bill for some reason like you know like the the kind of yeah yeah, so that's what it i would always be like that that reminds me of something it was it hit me that it was kill bill that you kind of get that little like same type of guitar siren type feel Yep, big uh, big Tarantino favorite is just kind of going harking back to the Dick Dale like fifties type music. Um, what's interesting uh, as well is that um, Brittany herself kind of pushes the track to another level of dynamics. Um, I wasn't aware of this till I looked this up, but she she spans two octaves um, in her voice uh, over, over the songs um, melodies, uh, most notably on the verse she shoots very high up there um it's a it's a it's a track in c minor um it's it's kind of a kind of an up-tempo track but um you really get kind of like pulled along almost because her vocals are so commanding um the and i won't get into lyrics really because uh that's anthony's zone but i will say that she she definitely makes she definitely makes do with um with what she's given and a big part of that is you know it's not it's not necessarily that there's a that the lyrics are bad or anything there it's more this is kind of a hallmark of the swedish sound it's much more focused on how the words sound coming together um than any sort of abject lyricism um and you know as a result the melodies are incredibly catchy a lot of those syllable stretching um things that i kind of mentioned um yeah, I, I I will say one other thing that I noticed uh, listening back that I really um, that really kind of tickled me. <laughs> the the bass line of the song is extremely minimal and ends up actually being used in a very similar way to modern trap. Um, it's effectively a an eight oh eight bass uh, sliding that's chained very heavily to the kick to the point that it almost slips out underneath each uh, drum beat. Um, if you uh if you wanna if you wanna listen to that um to the song and then listen to another modern song that despite not having a very very prominent bass line um is extremely uh is extremely groovy the box by roddy rich um you'll hear a very similar effect it it's kind of it's almost like this sneaking undercurrent so chris um something that i wanted to kind of think about too is 
hip hop is, you know, a big genre that I like, and I know that we all like too. When Danny Brown and Charles Gambino on Royalty sampled this, was it a true sample? Were they sampling Toxic? Were they sampling the original Bollywood song, or were they kind of sampling both? Because Definitely I think both. that's a good homage to it because this w- royalty was maybe seven, eight years afterwards, and they just mm-hmm. completely turned into a like trap banger, honestly, during that. Yeah, they. What's interesting about that is that the intro of it is is it takes almost verbatim from the original song, um, and then the rest of it samples Britney as well as bits of the original string melody. So yeah, good call out. I mean, it's been sampled a few other times um, since then, but that's definitely one of the more notable um, uses of it. Yeah. Any other things that we have to add about this? I have a, I have one question uh, for Chris. Um, so the bridge in this song, it, it's kind of different from other Britney songs. Um, I'm not going to vocalize it, but there's like a high pitched singing and then it's chopped up. Uh, dubstep kind of weird Mm -hmm. sounds and for me it doesn't resonate and when i think of other bridges for uh britney songs these are all max martin songs oops i did it again hit me baby one more time lucky and stronger these bridges they take the chorus and they kind of slow it down and then they add more vocal tracks and then they go back to a normal chorus and they keep the added vocal tracks added in so it kind of sounds like a choir and I'm interested, what do you think of this bridge? Do you think it would have been more effective with a Max Martin strategy? Or did this bridge age well? What are your yeah. thoughts? Yeah, no, good call out. Um, I think one of the biggest uh, things about that bridge is, um, so I personally think it aged well because I love the music that it directly references, which is 90s Acid House. Um, what yes. ends up being, uh, what ends up that sound that's just, extremely kind of almost squelchy that you hear is a TB303 baseline um, that uh, the, the bits of her voice that end up getting kind of vocoded and pitched up are extremely um, are extremely kind of prescient of the next decade of pop and onward. I mean, you, you hear those sorts of sound effects in PC music nowadays, like straight up. Um, it's a direct, uh, it's a direct lineage forward. I, I think that for a song like this, that took so many influences and kind of fed them through this almost crystalline kind of feeling. Um, it's, I think it is much more effective than if she were to have gone with the traditional bridge, because not only, not only like, not only the Max Martin type of bridge, but just in general, a bridge is, you know, much more of an understood kind of variation of the refrain. This is more of a breakdown. Um, and what I, uh, and yeah, I remember being younger and really liking that because, yeah, they take a little bit of the strings to kind of embellish a little bit more and then just drop you into just really gnarly acid bass for a few bars for like, what seems like no reason at first, honestly. And, but I, I love it. I, I mean, it's one of the more, um, it's one of the more experimental, um, parts of Britney's early discography. And I mean, especially, you know, this is the flip side of how, just how massive she was at the time. Um, you know, she, it, it put, it pushes that sound to the forefront, um, that, and, you know, both references kind of, 
hits, um, hits from the prodigy, etc. back in the nineties. Um, but also introduces a new generation to that sound, especially at that time, like right around the peak of, uh, your new Euro pop. So, yep. um, I, I, I love that bridge. I, I think it's wild. I, uh, I mean, I've, um, one of the things that I love about toxic is that it gets, you know, you hear it start to come on on a DJ set nowadays and it gets everyone going. And, you know, that sort of, that sort of part just speaks to how much it's meant to be a floor filler. Yeah. Well, that's a great breakdown of the production. And I guess we have to thank Sweden for helping this song uh, be what it is. So thank you, Sweden. And thank you um, to all the producers <laughs> with this and Brittany, of course. Music production is math, and math can be music production. So it's totally, it totally makes sense to put it in a public education system, and we are seeing the effects of it in our pop music. Yeah, well, good breakdown of history, good breakdown of production, and we're gonna get to my part, which will be the lyrics. With the lyrics of this song, Stefan touched on it briefly. There's not a lot going on here in the lyrics. I'm going to break down some of them that we have, but it is one of those that uh, is very chorus heavy, but that doesn't make it a bad thing, actually. I think that actually ends up making it a better thing. Um, but we are full swing into the new era of Britney. I know that her self-titled was going to be basically the, um, you know, hey, I'm an adult now, but kind of like Pitchfork said and everything here, this is actually when Britney is like, this is my new era and this is where I'm going with everything as well too. Um, as Chris mentioned, the songwriters, Kathy Dennis, um, also wrote Runaway by You and I by, with Galantis. So there is a big connection here um, going forward. Um, I'll just kind of start from the top. Um, you know, you get the little uh, strings going and everything kind of dives right in. Um, where with baby, can't you see I'm calling a guy like you should wear a warning. It's dangerous. I'm falling. There's no escape. I can't wait. I need a hit. Baby, give it. You're dangerous. I'm loving it. Beautiful rendition actually right there too. Um, but, uh, it is kind of that way of like, Hey, I know what's going on and I know that what's going on here might not be, you know, actually you know kind of you know safe or maybe it is kind of that bad boy energy that i kind of feel with this too um but it is kind of that like oh i really kind of love this and she needs a hit of their love so it's kind of like you know that drug fueled you kind of think of it that way um and then of course in the pre-chorus right after that goes right into that so too high can't come down losing my head spinning round and round do you feel me now? And I think that it's kind of like the, do you feel me now is more of like a, maybe I'm leaving my body and it's like, do you feel what I'm feeling? Or do you feel like I'm, you're losing control? Um, and it sounds like she is losing your control, losing my head spinning round and round, um, with that. Um, but it's a good breakdown right into the actual chorus and everyone knows what the chorus is. Um, but I'm actually going to sing a little bit with, with a taste of your lips, I'm on a ride. <laughs> uh, but uh, you're toxic, I'm slipping under. With the taste of a poison paradise, I'm addicted to you. Don't you know that you're toxic? Um, I know, Stefan, that you thought it was other lyrics, actually, didn't you? <laughs> yeah, this whole time, I have thought, 
that it's with a taste of a poison pair of pants. <laughs> and I mean, it, listen to it in, in normal time. You could easily hear that. And it makes sense in the context of the song. It's a sexy song. There's a poison pair of pants. What yeah, do you do with I poison? Mean, you need to get it off. Get off the pair of pants. I think that is uh, kind of true, actually, uh, that I could hear that too. Um, but it is kind of like the, the poison being, whether that's a drug, uh, the, the guy that she's going after is this drug that she's addicted to. Um, so it is poison paradise, which is kind of that, you know, you always get this pop songs with the, the good and bad or the yin and yang. So it's that of poison, but also this is making me feel good. So it's like kind of is like that high that you get when you, you know, take an illicit drug um, that way. And then the verse two is very short, three lines only actually, which is very, very short for any verse honestly um that you can think of and then back into the pre-chorus um and back into the chorus again um same type of lyrics too um but stefan kind of mentioned with the breakdown so not necessarily a bridge but a breakdown where her voice does change in between the last two choruses um so she kind of gets that robotic kind of um dubstepy kind of you know distortion and i wonder if that is just the whole thing based on the song it's it's distorted you got distorted strings you got distorted uh you know perception maybe that's going on we'll break down the music video everything's kind of going all together so i think it actually is a good play on the song as a whole but also in this the way that the production and everything melts together kind of right at this point. Um, what are you guys' thoughts? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think you're, I think you're right on that. They're basically trying to emulate the idea of being intoxicated. Like the, um, the, it really, um, when you were saying it, the whole too high can't come down, which I wish I could, uh, emulate how that, uh, how that goes, but it is, a ridiculously <laughs> falsetto dynamic, baby. yeah a ridiculously dynamic vocal line that mirrors the strings um which just feel woozy like you know it just it, it almost feels like a slur yeah and it's just that addiction i mean you know you you, you think about it with addiction in any way and it is just like that i'm chasing after this and this so it's like the you know oh and i'm too high up like i've gone too far but i still need this and in this case we talked about how a, a much of an overtly sexual song it is it is this person that she's going after um and then in the end in the outro kind of the same type of thing that it's intoxicate me now with your loving now i think i'm ready now um and then that repeats too so full swing britney full spring new new um or full swing new britney in this way where she goes i'm here and i'm not going away and i'm calling the shots at least at this point i know we talked about still not calling the shots in every way but this was something that she could actually control maybe for once in her life and she's like we're gonna do it and we're gonna do it big and make a absolute banger of a song uh, just in totality well we have done our dissection of the song uh we are gonna get into some of our segments um let's start with the music video breakdown so for those of you who haven't seen the video it is it's awesome. It's a good video. Uh, but um, it is one of those that actually there is a ton going on. So hopefully we can break it down a bit in our way um, and maybe talk about what some of the symbolism could be, uh, what was going around in this time 
and everything. Um, first thing I'm going to kind of start at um, is actually right from um, the beginning. So they're in a plane, um, and Brittany's, you know, up in the air, and she's in her uh, her stewardess or flight attendant uh, wear. Um, actually, a movie at the time, and my girlfriend brought this up, um, there's a movie called View from the Top. Um, not a great movie by any means, uh, but it had Gwyneth Paltrow in it, Mike Myers, um, a few other people, uh, pretty famous people too. Um, and it was a flight attendant movie. So it was about Gwyneth Paltrow actually becoming a flight attendant. She wants to get on the Premier Airline. Um, so that could have been before it came out, actually. And if you look at some of the, the dress, the way I know that flight attendants tend to dress, you know, in kind of the same uniforms or outfits uh, in that way, but... This is actually something that could have maybe actually influenced uh, Britney to use that in her um, album, maybe. Um, and even to this day, they still are doing stuff with um, Toxic on the plane. Actually, last year uh, on uh, either Good Morning America or Today Show, they had some uh, flight attendants kind of reenacting, uh, you know, Toxic on a plane. Uh, too so um, that was kind of a little tidbit I found and then another thing too was that the James Bond film in 2002 with Pierce Brosnan actually came out so maybe there's that tie in the secret agent she flips from flight attendant too high can't come down kind of maybe in that way to secret agent uh, actually too and it's kind of you know going through um, all these crazy situations a shirtless man riding on a motorcycle is the yes. situation. <laughs> that is, that <laughs> she is just finds him and hops on. Yes, but she does have kind of that um, secret agent vibe to her um, throughout the video, um, too. Um, music video itself was actually filmed from December nineteenth to December twenty second. So kind of maybe going off of my hunch, maybe for that movie too. And then it was actually directed by Joseph Kahn, who previously worked with Britney on the music video for two thousand single Stronger. So maybe, yeah, I mean, she might've had more creative freedom, but maybe he was like, Hey, maybe this is the time actually to get more creative and have this type of, uh, adjustment or, uh, I guess metamorphosis, so to speak. Yeah. In terms of the creative, um, freedom, like when I first watched this video, I thought it was like male gaze, like just kind of guiding her to it. But upon further research, it sounds like she had the whole concept, like she, approached Khan and um, wanted the sketch of a secret agent out to get the ex-lover. And then um, she had the concept down from spilling a drink on a passenger's lap to joining the Mile High Club, which you might get to later. Um, and that was all Brittany. I mean, honestly, that makes me feel a bit better about it because normally I, I this this is one of multiple Brittany videos that makes me really uncomfortable if I, if I uh, you know, just think about it too much. <laughs> It is kind of that like boom, like like the song itself. It's like punch in the face, and then it's like video punch in the face again. You're like, whoa, what's going on here? And like you said, Stefan, like she joins quote unquote the the Mile High Club. He, she's in the bathroom. She's making out with the with the guy. Um, steal takes his phone. You know, kind of make secret agency type stuff um, too. And then this actually was compared to Justin Timberlake's Crimey River video, um, and it actually was compared that where her real life ex uh, just stalked his cheating lover in his video, uh, Spears actually took a more lethal approach. Um, so maybe, like you said, Stefan, maybe she was like, hey, this is, I'm going to think it all through and we're going to really go for it. 
Yeah, I think a lot of people look at Britney Spears and think of her as a pop product. And admittedly, I used to fall into that category. But upon reading about her, she has a lot of ideas about creative execution, songwriting, and production that you know has not been disclosed to the public. So it's interesting. Yeah, the biggest thing is how much is is kind of it feels like it's being shielded um, from us about her personal life, for better or worse. I mean, that's good, really. Like you know, given how much of her life she has given to us. Um, at the same time, yeah, it, like it, I can't shake the the context of everything that's happened afterwards. It's like you know, how like you don't know like in this case i'm i'm glad that you mentioned like yeah she has she has said yep that's that's my idea i take ownership of it but in general it's kind of well how much was being pushed for or how much was you know okay but say say you owned this or something like that like i don't, I don't know again like i like it's hard because i don't want to take away autonomy from her and i'd like to say yeah. like yeah i i want to um you know, I want to attribute this to you, but it's, it's like, you know, this is a really, it's a really messed up industry. Like, honestly, like a lot of the folks in charge are older, older men who, uh, who really, really prey on this sort of dynamic and, um, take a lot of, uh, take a lot of, you know, build on the backs of the the women in this dynamic. And so I, I guess there's a lot of distrust there as well. Yeah, and I don't blame you. It makes sense. One interesting thing about the video is like in that scene where she's a flight attendant, all the passengers are, you know, white men in suits kind of representing this executive type. And like she's kind of being this, you know, unassuming flight attendant. But like Anthony explained, she's actually a spy and she's, (laughs) you know, above them and actually convoluting against them. So Mm -hmm. in, in this case of the one passenger in the bathroom. Now I'm not trying to dive too deep into the weeds there, but maybe that's symbolizing, you know, I'm I'm going to take down the establishment. Maybe I'm reading Could too be. much into it. There's a lot of vagueness here, as you explained, that we're jumping to a lot of conclusions. But that's the point of this podcast, right? Just to dive into the weeds and look yeah. into things that should go over your head. Yeah, and there there's a lot to break down too. With you know, we talked about how just like to put it in a blunt way, sexual the video is. It is sexual and it is, you know, brace, embracing that. Um, but, you know, a couple weeks later in 2004, um, February 10th, um, that was actually when the halftime show happened, uh, the famous one where Justin Timberlake rips um, and, you know, Janet Jackson's uh, part of her shirt and there's exposure going on. So actually due to that... Um, Toxic, along with five other music videos, will be moved from daytime to late night programming from 10 p.m. until 6 a.m. Uh, for MTV, um, which censorship a little bit in that way. Um, mm-hmm. I don't know if you would get that as much today, but back then they said this happened and we're just automatically going to put all these videos in the nighttime slot. Definitely reflective of the whole gatekeeper element of that time, you know someone made a unilateral decision that that was offensive to them in the eyes of the many and therefore was able to do that. I mean, at this point, how are you going to stop someone from streaming a video at any time of the day anywhere? Yeah, I couldn't even imagine doing that now. So that really was 
2004, 16 years ago um, at this point, um, over 16 by a little bit. Um, and then as sexy as the video was, um, it was uh, actually named um, by Muzu TV. Don't know what that is, but it was named as the sexiest music video of all time, actually, so ever. Um, so think about that. That is any music video that has ever been made. Um, but they, um, someone from NPR has actually noted that um, with the video that Spears is no longer trying to break away from her 1990s teen pop image. She was just comfortable and having fun and not trying to generate any type of calcul calculated controversy. Um, so same type of thing we've been talking about. She was like, this is what I want. And I've calculated, like, well, not calculate it, but I've thought about this through and like, this is what I want to do and what, uh, who I am. Um, and then the last thing too, that I, we want to mention with the video is that this actually has kind of been a, what's the word I'm looking for? A trope. Yeah. A trope or a, um, theme for other music videos um, and other uh, women of pop as well. Um, one of those will be actually uh, Taylor Swift um, in Bad Blood music video. Uh, she actually uh, has the red hair lookalike uh, of uh, Britney that she had in the Toxic mid uh, music video. And many comparisons were made about the similarities. So maybe a, a nod of like, thanks for paving the way for me to be what I can be today. Um, and I know Bad Blood is a empowering song and music video and kind of that like kick-ass type of spy type thing too so uh kind of throwing it back to hey thanks for paving the way before me a lot of a lot of parallels there actually with taylor swift nowadays facing her um you know dealing with scooter Braun, effectively trying to own her catalog and trying to muddy the waters about what what is what she's responsible for and what he can take ownership of Again, with the gender dynamics and again with, you know, an extremely talented woman uh, being able to push through and, you know, create great pop music that inspires the next generation. Yeah, and I mean, Toxic still is still widely credited with being the face of dance pop. I mean, that was one, that, like you said earlier, Chris, like mm. this is the, the, the starter, the everyone get on the floor and, and shake your ass, you know, this is like that <laughs> where you're like, I'm this is what you want to hear um, in the club. Maybe at that time. I mean, I was, you know, nine. Or I think you so, want to hear so. it now. I, yeah. I, I mean, I, I want to hear it every day. Yeah, <laughs> actually. Um, but, it's a great but yeah, song. so um, really helped pave the way. And um, not only with so sound, but also music videos too. Great. Let's get into our next segment. Uh, we're going to do, we haven't actually done this one, uh, but it's pretty simple. We're just doing our top five songs uh, for Britney. So uh, give me your top five Britney songs. It's Britney, bitch. Go ahead, Stefan. Okay. Well, I just want to preface, I'm not including Toxic. That's my number one. That's so it'll be the Oh, you're not? Five. Oh, no, I'm wait. not. Wait. Oh, okay. I got to change my list then. So, so Toxic is the best Britney song. I'll just put that. On the forefront, it's in a different category. That's a good, that's um, a good call. So I'll run through the next top five. Now, number one, I think I've got to go with "Oops, I Did It Again." It's very, very similar to the previous song "Hit Me, Baby, One More Time." In fact, they get interchanged in my mind a lot, but I like this one a bit more because you have the Titanic reference, which is just absurd and timeless, and kind of ages the song. Like, do we hear a pop song where they just kind of break down a line from a movie like they did? No. It's iconic. It's Britney. It's not... Is it the best Britney song? 
maybe not, but it's the most iconic in my opinion. So it's number one after Toxic. All right, and then what's number two for you? Number two, Till the World Ends. Kind of controversial pick here. I love this song. It's, you know, later era of Britney. It's basically the Jennifer Lopez song on the floor, and that's why I love it. It's uh, kind of got that dubstep feel that um, Hold It Against Me has, but it ages better than that song. Yeah. All right. Three, You Drive Me Crazy. This is the most 90s sounding song from Britney. It has cowbells. I don't need to explain anymore. Done. Four, Stronger. It's cheesy. It's empowering. It's Max Martin. I got to put it there. Oh boy. Next one is Lucky. Mm. Okay. Sad. Sad. It is prophetic. Sad. Prophetic, I think it kind of gives us the most um, accurate glimpse into her thinking and life at the time in the midst of all the paparazzi and the control from the record label. All right. Mm-hmm. Good list. All right, Chris, let's get your top five. Yeah. Um, so. Again, Toxic probably would have been number one. So we're going to just skip that. Um, But number five, um, kind of a weird pick, but this might make more sense for Stefan. How I Roll off of Femme Fatale, not a single. I I love that song. (laughs) Album album cut. It's an album cut. Um, This is like... It's right after I Want to Go on the album. And I used to just... It's a very Chris song, I used to jam that song. God. Um... So that's up there. Um, I think number four would probably be either. Yeah, number four would be Break the Ice. Um, I, I have a I have a soft spot for Blackout in general, and that's not the last you're going to hear of it on my list. But uh, Break the Ice was one of my favorites. Um, love the instrumental. It's just very much of its time. Um, I I am a big fan, and probably would put it number three of Lucky as well. Um, very much kind of a iconic song. Um, and you know, before toxic, um, another show of like, you know, just how much Britney has, has the presence to make a song her own and really bring you into her, um, perspective. I think, um, I think I want to, uh, I want to go for stronger for number two. Um, that one, uh, either stronger or I'm a slave for you. Probably stronger. I'm a slave for you has not aged well. Let's go with that. I just love the production. <laughs> um, and then, yeah. and then number one is uh, that is not number one that isn't toxic is going to be radar. Radar. Yeah. <laughs> Got you. Um. Uh, yeah. It was released twice. Uh, for some reason, they threw it wow. onto a circus. Um, because it, it didn't get the shine it deserved on Blackout. Um, and uh, yeah, I, I loved it both times. Um, I, I, I highly, highly cannot uh, emphasize how underrated that song is. Radar! Yeah, Radar. Well, you, you heard it here first, y'all. Uh, yeah. so. I, I mean, Womanizer, but Radar! Oh shit, hey. I forgot three. Three needs to be in there somewhere too. Three, Whatever. yeah. If you yeah, see, we got, okay, we have options. There's a lot. Yeah, there's a lot. Um, okay, well, that was a surprising list, Chris. Actually, I loved it though. Um, <laughs> all right, well, I'll give my top five. Um, didn't know that we weren't including Toxic. It's not my number one, actually, so I'm still gonna include it. 
um, actually. Um, number five for me is Gimme More. Um, That's a good one. That is the initial time that we hear it's Britney, bitch. So that, that one's got to be up there um, in that way. Um, four for me is um, Oops, I Did It Again. Um, great song. Um, very 90s. You think about that. I think about my childhood when I think of that song. Um, three is Crazy. Um, another great song. Um, you know, Crazy. I just can't see. Uh, it gets me moving a little bit. Makes me makes me want to dance a little bit. Uh, two for me was toxic. Um, I didn't think that it is her best song. I mean, it is way up there. Um, but for me, then number one is actually lucky. Um, lucky to me really does. When I think of Britney Spears, I know that d- people think of different songs, but I actually think of lucky being Britney Spears. Uh, and it is her story, like you said, Stefan. It's more of the prophecy being fulfilled. But um, whether she knew it or not at that time, that is kind of what she was. And it is that story of, um, isn't she so lucky, but why does she cry? Um, and she just belts in that song. And it is just a beautiful rendition of a pop song that I think is, is deeper than than what is sees on the surface so hopefully we get to break that down someday too but oh yeah yeah. for sure so a little bit of some crossing over but also some um good songs that maybe you guys didn't know or that we want (laughs) to um can do as well too um radar is number one that that's crazy i love it (laughs) yes go ahead and listen to it uh in there and then of course we will end with our signature segment um we will be doing this segment every single week please follow our uh playlist on spotify um if you don't have spotify you can get a free account so you can go and listen to it anyway um but it is the top 10 back then the top 10 back then now, with the top 10 back then, we will have Ryan Stefan break it down. So, Stefan, give us what week this peaked and go from there. All right, all right. So, the week it peaked was March 27th, 2004. And because this song peaked at number nine, I'm just going to have you guess the number one song and then we'll run down the list from there. So, I'm going to set the stage. It's March 2004. I think we're in fourth grade. What is the number one song? For this particular week. The only one I can think of would be Yeah by Usher. Final answer? I Anthony, do you I agree? I really think of nothing else. I'm thinking Ludacris for some reason, but I don't know why. Um, Ooh, I'll, go, I'll go with Ludacris Yeah. He's on that song, isn't he? <laughs> well, you know what the answer is? What? Yeah, you're correct. Oh, yeah. yeah. is the number yeah. one song. So we're both right, Chris. <laughs> good, go. good. I mean, that's a that's a, that's a song. Can you imagine yeah, breaking down those lyrics? Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. <laughs> all right. Number one is yeah. Exclamation point. Yeah. Um, Exclamation. All right. What else we got then uh, going down from number one? All right. So number two, we have One Call Away, Chingy featuring Jay Weave. What? I don't know that song. I'm not going to <laughs> There's multiple Chingy hits. Okay. It, it was static at number two from the previous week, if you want to okay. know. Okay, all right. Got staying power. No, number three, we're moving on. Tipsy, Jaquan. Oh, I remember that Yeah, one. we all don't that know that. That song still gets played in the club today. And That's a good Frequently. One. Okay, 
Wait, is that some na 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 get tipsy? Yeah. yeah, everybody in the club get tipsy. Okay, then, yeah. then I know that song. Yeah, yeah, everybody knows that song. Well, now I know the name of it. Thank you. I'm gonna <laughs> add it to the playlist. All right, number four. Hotel Cassidy featuring R. Kelly. We were wow. just mentioning R. <laughs> Kelly. He's Cassidy. Here. Okay. Jesus. Number five. Slow Jams, Twista, featuring Kanye West and Jamie Foxx. Is that the Twista album version one? I believe it is because Twista is credited, yes. Yes, okay. This was on two albums, as you mentioned. But that was when it was on Twista's. Okay. Mm -hmm. And then it would later appear on The College Dropout. Um, Number six, we have a ludicrous song, Splash Waterfalls. What? (laughs) Now, I saw that and I laughed. (laughs) Slash waterfalls. Holy shit. (laughs) (laughs) Jesus. Wow, of all songs, I would have thought like Blueberry Yum Yum or something. Of all ludicrous songs, Splash Waterfalls. And it was at number six the previous week, so I was amazed by that. Okay. Demon plot. Uh, Number seven, we have Dirt Off Your Shoulder, Jay-Z. Of course. One of my favorite Jay-Z songs, honestly. Timbaland. Yep. Yep. And then number eight, we have The Way You Move, Outcast featuring Sleepy Brown. If you think oh, of yeah. Outcast, they're totally dominating 2003, 2004. So. Yeah, this is pretty quickly after their back to back number ones. Mm-hmm. All right, then we know what number nine is, of course, with uh, Toxic. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Britney Spears. Number 10 also made me laugh. My Immortal. Evan Scants. Am I pronouncing pronouncing that right? Evanescence. Evan Scants. (laughs) (laughs) This whole time, my whole life, I've thought it's Evan Scants. Sorry, Evanescence. (laughs) Okay, so. Sorry. (laughs) I didn't know they had other songs either. Yeah, I don't know. All right, let's run through the top 10 again. This was a time. All right, number one, we have Yeah, Usher. Little John Ludacris. Number two, we got One Call Away, Chingy featuring Jay Weave. Three, we got Tipsy, Jay Kwan. Four, Hotel, Cassidy featuring R. Kelly. Five, Slow Jams, Twista, the Twista version, featuring Kanye and Jamie Foxx. Number six, Splash Waterfalls, the song that everybody remembers Ludacris for. Number seven, Dirt Off Your Shoulder. Number eight, The Way You Move, Outcast featuring Sleepy Brown. Number nine, our song of choice, Toxic, Britney Spears. And number 10, My Immortal. I'm going to have Chris say the band name. Evanescence. I feel like Toxic should have been higher than some of those songs, personally. I, but it, Yeah, definitely should have. Absolutely. Like, out of all of these songs, Toxic deserves to be number one, and then I can think of two or three that are maybe an echelon below it, and then all the rest can be clumped into trash that I, I don't... I think, I think besides Slow Jams, to a degree, um, Tipsy, and The Way You Move, I think Toxic has aged the best out of all of those. Or at the very least, like, has, has been consistent. Because, um, yeah. <laughs> splash waterfalls yeah I, there you go well uh we'll put this in our playlist of course so go follow that that'll update every single week with our top 10 back then um from that 
Well, that will wrap it up again for another episode of Over My Head, a look back at Pops Pass, brought to you by the Los Lovely Boys. If you want to hear our episodes as they drop, please subscribe, download, and listen wherever you listen to podcasts most. If you want to add your input to this song, want to suggest songs for us to look at, or just want to give some feedback, you can email us at LLC at gmail.com. Also, follow us on social media, Twitter, Instagram, wherever you can find us. We will be posting when we're dropping stuff, some of the behind-the-scenes stuff, and everything in between. And for my co-host Chris and Stefan, hope we weren't too far in over our heads on this one. We'll see you next time.